wedding address. <laughs> I'm Sam, if I haven't met you before. Um, good morning. How is everyone going today? Great. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you so much for praying for us, Lorraine. Um, I'm just going to um, pray for us, speak as well. You enjoy me. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, I pray that um, as I speak, you would speak um, in the midst of my words, that the things that settle in our hearts this morning would be from you. We ask that you would um, bless us and challenge us, that you would send us out into the world to be your people in the spaces where we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been um, journeying with us since the beginning of this year, we've been in a series um, and we've been looking kind of at snapshots of Jesus' life. Um, and if you're just joining us today, um, either in person or on Zoom, um, welcome. You've come on a great day to hear about an encounter that Jesus has um, with someone that we find in the Gospel of John, Chapter 8. Um, so we're going to look at this story together this morning. I'm going to... Um, oh, sorry, I've made myself very loud. Sorry about that. Um, I'm going to read it and you can follow along on the screen with me. So it's John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, and it goes like this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. He was speaking, and the teachers, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, before we go any further, if you are looking at this story, um, you have a Bible in front of you and your version has little brackets around this passage that we're looking at today. Um, I just thought we'd deal with that first because otherwise it can hang in there and you can have it in your mind while we're looking at it. This um, passage is a section of the Bible. It doesn't appear in every original manuscript that we have. Um, and there are a few reasons why that might be. And I'm happy to talk to you about that um, outside of this message. We're not going to go into that this morning. Um, but what's important for us to know this morning is that most theologians and the reason why it does appear in our Bibles is that we're pretty confident this is an original story and that it belongs here in this section of John. So happy to chat to you about that and, and why that is um, at some other point if you like. So the story begins with Jesus te teaching in the temple courts. <laughs> Sorry, my daughter's decided that she might like to grab a pencil. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, if this passage is located in the text of John as we find it, then this event recorded is something that happened during a feast week. Um, Jesus is in Jerusalem for a festival. That's what he's doing there. And during Jewish festivals, 
the Romans posted guards on the roof of the temple overlooking the courtyard. So there's a picture up there. If you see that kind of um, Solomon's portico, there would have been guards along all of that space, Roman guards, to kind of oversee what was happening. Um, Similar to the way that we might have a police presence (laughs) at a large gathering or an event, um, the kinds of things that happen here for us. Um, The guards were there to ensure peace. That was their purpose. So it's, it's worth having in the back of our minds that there's probably Roman guards overseeing this courtyard and all of these as these events kind of play out. It's not too much of a stretch for us to think that that might be the case. That might have been how it looked. So Jesus is teaching and a group of scribes and Pharisees bring this woman before him, a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. There are two things that are significant about this. First, she's caught in the act, which means it's likely that she's not wearing very much. She's in the temple court and she's not wearing very much at all. This is hugely shameful and embarrassing. This moment for her is like a scar. It's outward evidence of this event that's happened privately. And this scar of hers is on display in front of the whole temple court. It's a big space when you look at that picture. The second thing about being caught in the act is that there's only one person that's brought before Jesus. And logically, if you catch one person committing adultery, it's more than likely that there's a second person there also. So for whatever reason, the scribes have let the man in this um, adulterous relationship go. And this tells us, and it told Jesus, that the Pharisees aren't really concerned about the law. They're concerned with what Jesus will do with the law. They come to him and they ask him, this is what Moses says, what do you say? What are you going to do? Will he choose to be subject to the Roman law that requires peace to be maintained and say, don't stone her? In which case, he goes against the, um, the law of Moses, the Torah, and he'll lose the following and the respect of the people, which is kind of what the Pharisees want. Or if he says stone her, he goes against the Roman law and he's likely to be arrested um, for starting and inciting violence. And we know the guards are watching, so this is actually likely to happen. They would surely arrest Jesus. That also takes Jesus out of the mix for the Pharisees. So for them, it doesn't matter what his answer is. Like This is win-win for them, they think. Win-win. So what does Jesus do? He draws in the dirt like, thanks, Jesus. Good job. Um, we aren't told what he writes, but by writing in the dirt, he's doing a couple of things. First, it's like there are two options that are presented before Jesus. You can do X or you can do Y. And Jesus isn't keen on doing X or Y, and so he draws in the dirt. If you imagine what's happening in this scene, there's been this big ruckus coming in um, across the temple court, this woman's scantily clad. Um, there's all these events. They're demanding an answer from Jesus. And he, he stoops down and he writes in the dirt. In this action, Jesus is making them wait. He makes them wait. He doesn't play their game. I'm not picking X. I'm not picking Y. I'm going to make you wait. 
And just like Jesus, I'm actually going to wake, make you wait for a moment before we focus on what exactly he might be writing. I'm just going to do a bit of background, a bit of background tracking. On the surface, this story is about a woman caught in adultery. And the heading in your Bible might even have it titled that way. But this story is not really about the woman, not initially. It's about Jesus and the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees have come to trap Jesus. They want to trap him publicly and humiliate him before the crowd. They are keen to discredit him. The events of the previous day give us a little insight into what has prompted this trap. Jesus was in the temple the day before and he made this great statement, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's from John 7, 37 to 39. It's on the screen. You can um, kind of this um, story essentially starts in John 37. Like you can read the rest of that if you like sometime this afternoon. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of the Samaritan woman by the well together. And you'll remember that if you were with us, that in that encounter, Jesus offered her living water that would spring up within her. And so just before this encounter with, um, that we find in John 8, Jesus had made the same offer to, the Jewish, to a Jewish audience in the temple. He said, if you want living water, come to me and you drink. And the response that he gets is mixed. And you can read about that for yourself, but the short version is that some people are ready to say he's the Messiah in that moment. But the Pharisees are outraged. How dare Jesus take scripture and apply it to himself in this way? And so they send the temple guard to arrest him. But the guards come back empty-handed. That's what happens. And the Pharisees are furious. How could you not arrest him? Oh, well, he seemed to speak with authority, so we let him go. <laughs> um, and so they're furious with Jesus, but they're now also furious with the guards and they're furious with the people because no one seems to know that this is all against the law. No one seems to know the law as well as the Pharisees themselves know it. If they knew the law, then they'd know Jesus was a fraud. This is their thinking. How can they not see this? So... They have a plan to make sure everyone knows that Jesus doesn't know the law. And so we come to John 8, this story that's the next day. Jesus is once again in the temple courts. He was nearly arrested yesterday, but he comes back. Jesus is not afraid of what the Pharisees can do to him. He's not afraid of being under the watchful eye of the Roman guards. He's not afraid of the temple guards. And so this is where we kind of come back to, I've made you wait long enough. So Jesus writes in the dirt, and it would be great if John would tell us what he wrote, but he didn't. Um, the day following the festival is likely to be a Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day where you weren't supposed to do any work. And the Pharisees had a list of 39 things that clarified and constituted what was work at the time, just to be clear, to be sure that you weren't working. These were the things that you could and couldn't do. And writing was not allowed. But writing in the dirt was permissible because it didn't have kind of a lasting imprint. And the Pharisees that have come to test Jesus and to trap him want to show that he doesn't really know the law. 
There's a theologian, um, Kenneth Bailey, who presents kind of this argument to suggest that Jesus probably writes down the command to execute. That's what he's drawing in the, di- in the dirt. He writes stone her. And he suggests that Jesus is making a point of his action. Not only does he know the law of Moses, of course the answer is stone her, he also knows the current interpretation of the law and that um, you are supposed to write in the dirt, you don't, you don't write things down on paper or, you know, he's making a point. He's also telling them that he's perfectly willing to be arrested by the Romans for disturbing the peace. But he has a condition. He writes a second time, whoever without, is without sin throws the first stone. Whoever was without sin, you start. You start it out. So Jesus turns this test or this trap on its head. He sends essentially three things to them. First, you're correct. This sin requires the death penalty. I'm perfectly willing to be arrested. Second, how about you? Are you willing to go to jail? Are you willing to be arrested over this trap that you've set for me? The Roman guards um, are likely to arrest the one who starts the violence, um, not the one who ordered it. If you think about riots and who gets arrested in that space, it's the person who throws the first punch. It's not the person who, um, you know, perhaps suggested it might be possible. Everyone is watching. The Pharisees have made sure that this is very public. The crowd will know who started this violence. And then he has a third condition. If you're without sin, then you can throw the first stone. And these men, even though they are attempting to trap Jesus, they're not inconsistent enough to say that they're sinless because that would show that they don't know the law. That would only demonstrate that they don't know that Isaiah, um, the prophet Isaiah, is very clear that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Everyone falls short. And so they gradually leave. The text says the older of them leave first. We don't know why, but perhaps they know their own sin more readily. The older and more spiritually mature become, the more aware we are of how we fall short. And the younger wait to see what the elders will do. But there's one person who doesn't walk away. Jesus stays. And only now does the story become about what Jesus will do with this woman. There is an ongoing conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus and we have seen it in John already and we'll see it again and again as we um, kind of explore this series together. But this woman has been caught in the crossfire. This woman has been shamed and humiliated before a crowd. It's not to say that she's done the right thing. She's, she's clearly wrong. Jesus says she's wrong. But the text doesn't say it, but perhaps um, you do wonder whether maybe the adultery has kind of been set up. How did the Pharisees know when and where to catch someone in the act? And why was there only one person, a woman who hardly matters and not two? This woman means nothing to the Pharisees, but Jesus sees her, just as he saw the woman at the well, just as he sees each of us. Of all the people in that courtyard, Jesus is the one who would, throw, who would be able to throw a stone at her, 
Jesus is the one without sin. But Jesus has compassion. Jesus chooses to show grace rather than judgment. Jesus allows her to go unpunished. She deserves death, but she receives life. The passage that Paul read earlier for us from Isaiah 42 talks about this image of the um, servant, the promised one, who would not break a bruised reed. This is the woman. She's bruised. She's not perfect. But Jesus will not break her. Jesus will take the cost of her sin and he will take it to the cross and it will die with him there. And the sin will stay in the grave, but Jesus will not. Scars are a physical evidence, a reminder of an event that occurred in the past. And we carry all kinds of scars with us. Some are visible and some not so visible. We heard about some of those this morning. And sometimes we can think that our scars get in, in the way between us and Jesus, the things that we've done. But in this story, we see that though Jesus is incredibly just, the law will be upheld. He's also unfailingly compassionate. He would have gone to jail for this woman and not so many years later, he would die for her. And not just for her, but also for you and for me. Greg and I were um, walking um, in the blocks around our house a few weeks ago and we passed one of our neighbours and we got to talking and she said that her daughter will sometimes just randomly, it was a bit of context, but her daughter will sometimes just randomly ask, but why did Jesus have to die? <laughs> and um, our neighbour shared with us that she could talk about Christmas easily enough, it was easy to talk about Jesus coming as a baby, um, but she found talking about Easter difficult. How do you articulate to a three-year-old, what's going on at Easter? At Easter, Jesus allows the events, events to unfold that lead to his being put to death. Jesus dies in order to bear the penalty of our sins, our scars. He takes them with him. He dies so that we don't have to. But he doesn't stay in the ground. Jesus' resurrection tells us that sin doesn't have the last word. Jesus does. His compassion does. He's able to be compassionate and forgive the things that we've done that aren't great because he's borne the cost of them already. This is what he does for this woman. It's what it do he does for you and for me. And this is the compassion that Jesus asks us to extend to others. I'm going to take um, some time now to reflect on what God might be saying to each of us this morning and we usually have music for reflection that doesn't have words um, but but this morning I've asked for um, us to listen to a song that does have words and this song um, it's a man singing the words and um, he wrote the song but the words are written from the perspective of the woman in this story so um, if you want to just sit and listen and reflect on the words as they come through and um, how they might speak to you um, feel free to do that got some questions for you as well um, just to sit with. What do you like about this story? What is it about this story that speaks to you? What scars are you carrying? Are there scars that you need to bring to Jesus to ask him to restore that, heal that, see past it, help you see past it perhaps?
Jesus demonstrates his um, compassion and his justice in this story. So how might, he might be, how might he be asking you to show compassion in your life to the people around you? And what might that look like? What might it look like this week? What has God inspired in you through this story? And how are you going to put that into practice? How does it change who you are and how you live? I'm going to speak, um, spend a few minutes just um, reflecting and then um, we'll come back and close. Thank you.